change around my team. Yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up. Welcome to Podscreen. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. <laughs> Mike, we are back again talking about another Ticats victory. This is 14 times this year. Clearly, obviously, the most ever, but man, I could get used to this, couldn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's very enjoyable watching your team win week after week after week, but I don't know if I, what's wrong with me, but like, I think I hate losing more than I enjoy winning. Like, I don't, like, I, don't get me wrong, I'm totally enjoying every second of this, but, uh, I don't know, man, I just, I, I just really hate losing, and it, it, yeah, it's just very strange, I don't know, how, how do you feel about it? Do you think it's a combination of our inherent pessimism, we've talked about this a lot, our inherent pessimism mm-hmm. as Ticat fans, where we're just always waiting for disaster to strike? Yeah, I, I think that might be part of it, it's just... Maybe I enjoy yelling at my TV and being <laughs> mad at the team. I don't know. But uh, no, no, it, it's been great. 14 wins. I mean, we've never had this before, so I, I don't even know how to act sometimes. And that's the other thing. Do you think the other part is the uncomfortability around kind of being egocentric about your team? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love Ryan. Of, of the horseman, um, colleague at Three Down Nation. He's a huge Stampeders homer. He says every year they're going to go 18-0, and 0, yada, yada, yada. He always says, like, if you're a fan of a team, why would you ever predict them to go anything other than undefeated? And it's like, we've spent all this time... Like, he spent a decade watching a team that routinely wins 12-plus games without breaking a sweat. So, we're in this kind of, like... This is a very weird feeling to sit here and to legitimately lay claim to having being fans of the best football team in the Canadian Football League. I, I'm I'm dealing with something similar with my NFL team. I'm a 49ers fan, have been for 30 plus years. They're seven and zero and running Russia. They just beat the Carolina Panthers on Sunday, 51 to 13. And I'm I'm it's, it's the same sort of thing. Like when when you when you're having this much success, when you can be egotistical, do you think it's also the worry of man, we start talking about how great this team is, how great this team is, and then they like lose the East Final, lose the Grey Cup, and then you feel like you have to eat crow, but at the same time, you feel like, man, they won 15 games. Like you, you sh- I, I just feel like we, not not that you ever earn the right to be kind of cocky, but like we hemmed and hawed for how long. I mean, everyone did, really, when you think about the Ticats. They hemmed and hawed for so long, talking about how good this team was. Like they're... They were, what, 4-1, and one, I think, at the time that Jeremiah Mazzoli went down. They were playing the undefeated Bombers at home. Mazzoli gets hurt. They beat the Bombers in that game. 
And yet everyone was saying, well, Winnipeg's still the better team. And it's like, well, hold on. Why is that the case? Oh, well, you know, Winnipeg still is their starting quarterback and Hamilton just lost theirs. And it's like, well, wait a second. But Hamilton oh. lost theirs and still won the game. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, it doesn't we, matter. Because going forward, they're not, they're, it, it's not going to matter. And then right. they would win. They won a bunch of games. But then Winnipeg kept winning too, right? So then it's like, and then Winnipeg would like lose to Saskatchewan. Like, I think they lost to Saskatchewan on Labor Day. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, you, you knock you knock the Bombers back a bit, but the Stamps have been playing really well, and Bo's back. And then it was like, everyone had a reason to kind of downplay this team's success, and all they did was keep winning. They've, they've lost once since August, and it was a one-point loss in Calgary. On, on a, a blocked field goal. And, a, and not just a blocked field goal, though, like a ridiculously crazy jump. Rocket up your ass. Yes. Yeah. Like, it took everything going right for the Stampeders to block that field goal. This is the best football yeah, team in the Canadian yeah, Football not... League. They, 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 yeah. I, don't, I don't, like, we shouldn't pause about it. We shouldn't hem and haw about it. We shouldn't, if they don't win the Grey Cup, they don't win the Grey Cup. How, how many years, the Stampeders were like 15-2-1 or whatever the hell they were a couple years ago, and they lost in the Grey Cup. And yeah, you know, you have your fun at the expense of the Stamps, but I remember Ryan, to, to bring him up again, said like, it was last year, I believe. I believe it was last year at the Two and Out Live show when he goes, you know, people talk about the Stamps being chokers, but this is their third straight trip to the Grey Cup. Wouldn't every fan, win or lose, love it if their team made it to three straight Grey Cups? And it, that was sort of the moment where I go, you know what, he's right. Like, yeah, they might lose the championship, but every year you're going in to the season going, my team has a legitimate shot to win the Grey Cup. The Ticats have a legitimate shot to win the Grey Cup, and I feel like we should just be excited about that. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way. And I am very excited about it. Um, but yeah, it just comes back to the pessimism of being a Ticat fan and just being worried about being so cocky you're going to jinx it, even though I don't even really believe in jinxes. Um, in this case, I kind of do, just because it's a Tiger Cat. So listen, they're a great team. I believe in them. I believe they have a legitimate shot of winning the Grey Cup. Um, but I'll, how about this? I'll get real cocky after they win the championship. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. I'll get cocky beforehand. I, right. I got chirped when they were playing Ottawa. I wore my slapdick shirt to the Ottawa game, and I posted it on Twitter and said, oh, I'm wearing this to the game. And, you know, some Red Blacks fans got their, you know, panties in a twist. And one guy was like, oh, yeah, come talk to me after they get blown out in the East Final. And I and was a Red Blacks fan. So my response was, where will your team be when the East Final right. is going on? Because they weren't playing in the game. And to me, that's the – if the Ticats don't win the – if the Ticats lose the Grey Cup, there's one fan base that can chirp – you and I, or Ticats fans in general. And that's whatever West team beats them in the Grey Cup. Everybody else, your team didn't get there. Shut up. Like, yeah. it's fun. And I know we, we've had our fun at the expense of the Stampeders, and I've written stuff about the Stampeders and talked about the Stampeders losing all, losing the Grey Cup to the Argos and to the Red Blacks. But at the end of the day, if a Stampeder fan goes, we got there and you didn't, what do you what do you got to You kind of have to shut your mouth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that, that's how I'll feel this. If, if the Owls come into Tim Hortons Field and beat them in the East Final or, the, or Edmonton comes into Tim Hortons, like, you know what? Have at it. You're, you're welcome to say we were wrong. And we will sit here and go, man, it all went wrong and we didn't get there. And it's just another season where the Ticats don't win a championship. But if you're not a fan of the team that beats them in the playoffs or in the Grey Cup, shut your mouth. Yeah, and I think the choking moniker is... Um, kind of ridiculous? Incorrect. Yeah, because... You know, it's not like they 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 played duds in those games. Both those games came down to the very last drives. The other one came uh, one in overtime. So they put a good effort forward. Uh, they almost won both of those games. So I don't think choking is the right word. Well, and it's football, man. How many times have we seen two teams play 
and you go, how did they win that game? That never yes. should like it happens in football all the time. So, I mean, maybe maybe it's maybe it's us now sitting in the catbird seat, going, we have the best team in the CFL, and if we lose, we don't want to be labeled as chokers. Maybe, but maybe this is the perspective you need as a fan to kind of see what those other fans have gone through. And I guess maybe in a, in a you know a little small way, we kind of owe an apology to to kind of laughing at the stamps for losing those two Grey Cups. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about our team. Enough about how great the Stampeders have been. Let's talk about how great our Tie Cats are. This one got off to a bit of a rocky start. Uh, Montreal played super well in the first half, especially when Vernon Adams was in there building up to a 21-14 lead at halftime. And then I know the Owls were sitting some guys, and, and that has to be taken into account as well. But the second half started, and the Ticats were essentially unstoppable. I believe they scored on four of their six drives in the second half, and the sixth of those drives was they get the ball with 45 seconds left and kneel the game out. So essentially four five drives where they could have done something with the ball. I think they scored three touchdowns, kicked a field goal, and they allowed... Uh, the Alouettes, the only offensive points the Alouettes got was a field goal. They got two more points on a conceded safety and the Ticats won this game 38 to 26. I know it's silly to kind of take anything from this game, quite frankly, but the one thing that did come of this game is I won't say it's the first time ever, but I, I'm, I feel pretty confident saying it's the first time ever. Ticats won the season series over every single team in the CFL this year. They, they swept the Red Blacks. They swept Edmonton, BC, and Winnipeg. They split with Calgary and Saskatchewan, but they won the total points against both those teams, and now they beat the Owls two out of three games. Just another kind of notch. I mean, it's not a significant notch, but another notch in the belt for this team that's kind of broken from Ticats' mold all year. Yeah, I mean, they just they just keep winning, don't they? Yeah. And no matter what, they... Uh, they put in all the the starters in this game. No one really sat. Uh, they pulled a couple guys early on, but uh, you know, Dane Evans was in there most of the game. Brandon Banks had a huge game and was in there the whole game. You know, all the stars were were in there, and it was a little bit of a rough start in the first half. Uh, Dane got off to a little bit of a slow start, but he just always bounces back, don't you think? I mean, he if he throws an interception on the next drive, he comes out, and I believe it was on the next drive he came out and rally the team to a touchdown drive. So um, that's, you know, there's a lot of things that I like about Dane Evans, and uh, the the bouncing back is one of them. It's funny to think if, you know, and I'm glad it didn't happen, Jeremiah Mazzoli gets hurt week one, or Jeremiah Mazzoli gets hurt in the preseason, and Dane Evans starts the whole year with what he's done. We're going to talk about Brandon Banks and how he's basically locked up the MOP, I mean, if Dane Evans had played the whole year at the level he's playing at now, chances are we're talking about a completely different person winning MOP, and it's it's not Speedy B, but it's his teammate Dane Evans. He's he's been phenomenal. Yeah, you got to think so. You know, with the extra three or four games he would have had if Mazzoli, you know, wasn't playing for those games, uh, the numbers would have added up, and he probably would have led the the league in passing yards and perhaps touchdowns. It, it would have been. Yeah, he would have been the the nominee from the Tiger Cats, and you know if uh, we're probably going to see him next year as a starter, my prediction. So maybe maybe next year he uh, has a full year and can put it together and uh, make a run for the MOP. Yeah, just look at his numbers in this one: twenty nine to thirty six, three hundred and seventy nine yards. He is now averaging over three hundred and seventy yards 
in his last like seven games, which is incredible. Four touchdown passes, one interception. The interception came on a throw that I feel like he would want back. It was into double coverage. It was he was trying to make a throw downfield. wasn't a, wasn't a great wasn't a great read on his part. But like you said, right. he bounced back after it, led him to a touchdown drive, and then threw three other touchdowns on that. I mean, it it seems like every week we're sitting here talking about him, like he, over eighty percent completion percentage. He's got he's I believe I believe he leads the league in completion percentage for quarterbacks that have played. You know, I think Nick Arbuckle might be ahead of him, but other than like quarterbacks that are starting currently, he is number one in completion percentage since like seventy three percent or some incredible number like that. Week in week out, this guy just continues to produce, and I know there's some out there that say he's not good enough, but I mean, this is plenty good enough for me. What about you? Yeah, uh, this is an all star quarterback right here. I mean, <clears throat> he just. I believe last week his completion percentage was 79 point something. This week it's 80.6, as you mentioned. Um, you know, the four touchdown passes, I think that's a high for him in a game this year. I believe you're so, right. <clears throat> so he just keeps getting better week in and week out. Uh, you know, there's going to be some lulls. There's going to be some interceptions here and there. But the guy's a gunslinger. That's what he does. He tosses the ball deep. There's going to be, you know, some mistakes in there. But, you know, I'll take it. With all the success he's having, I'll take the minuscule amount of, you know, bad play that he's had. Well, it's funny to think, too, last year it was all about Jeremiah Mazzoli puts up big numbers, but he's not getting any wins. And then with Dane Evans, and even Jeremiah Mazzoli earlier in the year, it was, well, they're winning games, but he's not really putting up any big numbers. And now we got Dane Evans doing both, and there's still people who are questioning what the Ticats have at quarterback. It just... I don't know, man. Is there, is there something about this team that people just want to consistently question whether or not they're any good? It seems that way. A lot of people like to poo-poo the Tiger Cats. Um, maybe it's because of their recent history, or I don't know what it is. But um, you're not watching the games if you think this team isn't a serious contender. And you're not watching the games if you don't think Dane Evans is a top-tier quarterback in this league. He might be. right. I think I said this last week, and I'll say it again this week. He might be playing the best of any quarterback in the CFL currently. And I know we had this discussion, I believe it was last week, about him and, and Bo Levi Mitchell. But right now, to me, it's 1A, 1B between who's playing. Yeah. the. I'm not saying he's on that level. I don't want anyone to get it twisted. But those two guys right now are playing the best at the quarterback position. And, and we saw Bo play pretty well against Winnipeg, but they lost that game. We're seeing Dane Evans do nothing but win and and put up big numbers in the process. And something else he does, Mike, that I've noticed, I don't know if you have as well, he's not afraid to use the whole field. There's There was a couple throws in this game, and I've seen it previously, where he's not afraid to throw those wide side outs to receivers. That Those are one of the most dangerous throws in the CFL because you're throwing 50-some-odd yards across your body, and those are ripe for interceptions. He's making those throws. He's not afraid to make those throws, and he's usually completing them, and I mean, when you can make all the throws on the field, that just makes you all the more dangerous. Yeah, and you can throw it out to our buddy Mike Jones out there. And Who? Get him some action, you know what I mean? So you're right. Dan Evans has has the arm strength to make any throw on the field, and including those uh, long 50-yard across-the-field ones. All right, we buried the lead a little bit here. I think it's just the way the conversation went, but let's talk about Speedy B because, in my opinion— it's the rate. It's over. Vince, the Vince Carter video. It's over after the dunk contest. To me, the MOP race is over after Saturday afternoon. Brandon Banks is the 2019 MOP, and I don't want to hear any arguments for anybody else. 
11 catches, 201 yards, and three, count them, three touchdowns. Speedy B is now number one in every single receiving category, and it will take mammoth performances from Brian Burnham to catch him here. He's almost 100. He's actually exactly 149 yards ahead of Burnham and yards. He's three touchdowns receiving ahead of Burnham, five touchdowns or six touchdowns in total ahead of Burnham. And he's got 112 catches to Brian Burnham's 93. Brian Burnham was the guy that everyone said he's the one who will be Banks's biggest potential rival for most outstanding player. And with this performance, even if Brandon Banks sits next week, maybe he loses the receiving yards title, but he's going to win catches. He's going to win touchdowns and he's going to win MOP. It's there's no doubt in my mind. And in this game in particular, he was outstanding. Oh, he was amazing. I mean, you mentioned the numbers and we can get into a bait, the debate about Brandon Banks and Brian Burnham, who's a better receiver, but I don't think either one is better than the other guy. You know, they're just different. If you want a guy like Brandon Banks to catch the ball <clears throat> and gets those yak, um, then then take him. If you want a guy who can make those one-handed catches, then take Brian Burnham. But to me, Brandon Banks this year is is the clear MOP. He's you know he, he's just so versatile. He does so many things for this offense, and uh, he's just a, a joy to watch on the field. He, every time he touches the ball, it seems like something could happen. And, you know, you saw it on one of the plays, his, one of his touchdowns. You know, he catches the ball. He jukes a defensive back out of his sock. Broke some ankles on that one. The guy still has breakaway speed. He's still one of the fastest guys in the league, even though he's, uh, you know, over the age of 30 now, I believe. So the guy still has it, man. No, he's – the debate's always going to be there because who's the best at anything is subjective. But – if you're going to argue for Brian Burnham, I won't fight you. If you're going to argue for Brandon Banks, I won't fight you either. But to me, Brandon Banks is the most important player on the best team in the league. And he's playing at a at such a high level and contributing in multiple ways. He's run the ball. He's caught the ball. He has returns. It's, it's, it's not – the award isn't most outstanding receiver. It's most outstanding player. And Brandon Banks has, has made more plays in more areas of the game than Brian Burnham has. And that's no knock on Brian Burnham. He's not asked to do those things. But Brandon Banks is, and Brandon Banks is producing. And, man, can you remember it was like, what, two years ago that there was talk of him getting cut? You remember we had the question on the show, will Brandon Banks last the season with the Ticats when he was starting to slow down uh, yes. as, as a returner? And now he's going to be the MOP, and he's potentially a Hall of... Like, he's probably going to the Hall of Fame. What a difference two years can make. And... and We've seen the match rate. Brandon Banks last year was was in this zone before he got hurt. And to come back from an injury like he suffered last year and to just continue putting up numbers, it, it's just been a treat to watch. We, we've been very yeah. blessed to be able to watch Brandon Banks these last few years. His entire career was a tie Cats, but this year in particular has just been something something else entirely. I remember we had conversations about putting him into the offense before it actually mm-hmm. happened, how he could be a Chad Owens-type mm-hmm. player who – you know, was a returner, then got became a, a good receiver, and he has lapsed Chad Owens in the receiving game. He is so much better than Chad Owens ever was uh, as a receiver. So, yeah, it's a great story. I don't know how he didn't get into the offense earlier. <clears throat> well, I think we know why, but it's just a shame that, uh, you know, he lost some years. He could have been, you know, the numbers could have been even more than what they were. But, yeah, you're right. I think at the end of the day, Brandon Banks will be a Hall of Famer, 
Um, you got to take into consideration his return game, which, you know, he was one of the best we've ever seen in the return game. And now you put him at receiver, and he's one of the best tie cat receivers we've ever seen. So the guy's had a tremendous career so far, and I expect it to continue. And he's one of the best receivers of his generation, and I think that speaks. Yep. That's something that you judge the guys on who they play against, not who came before, who comes after. I think at least, and, and Brandon Banks right now is is in the conversation as the best in the game. Whether, you, like I said, whether you think it's Burnham or him, I, I won't fight you on it. But he's in that conversation right now, and he is one touchdown away from tying Chris Williams' team record for touchdowns in a season. So maybe he could get that. In, in the final week of the season against the Argos. And not to mention, he just set the Ticats single season reception record. He now has, uh, I believe it's 112 receptions. So, I mean, he's rewriting the Ticats record book. His name's going to be on the wall of honor one day. His name, his bus is going to be in the CFL Hall of Fame. And hopefully, hopefully this year, he can get his name etched in on that, on that beautiful gray cup that they hand out at the end of November. But no, he's, he's been awesome. He's, he's Mr. MOP as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, I guess I guess hope we get many more years of watching Speedy B do his thing. Yeah, I think he wants to be a Tiger Cat, and I think the Tiger Cats will oblige him with the money that he deserves. Yeah, and I mean, if you go back and listen to when he re-signed, he, he took a discount to stay in Hamilton. He mm-hmm. wants to be in Hamilton. So, I mean, how do you not root for a guy like that if you're a Tiger Cat fan? Yeah, exactly. You, you want players to want to play on your team. I mean, you don't want... I know that you come to the CFL and some players just want to make that jump back to the NFL, but you know Brandon Banks is obviously past that in his career, and he's very happy with um, being the tire, being a tire guy for the rest of his uh, playing career. Speaking of being happy, how happy were you to see number seventeen back on the field? <clears throat> very happy. You know, it wasn't a massive game for him; only three uh, three receptions for twenty four yards. But listen, it's going to take a little bit of time to, for him to get back into the groove. Um, uh, there were a couple fans who were questioning, uh, well, just one that would talk to me, uh, questioning <laughs> whether Luke Tasker should be inserted into the lineup because, you know, guys like Tucker and, and other players have played so well uh, with him being injured. But my answer to that is he might not have the speed of some of those other guys, but uh, the experience, the wealth of experience is there. And it will help us in the playoffs. I have no doubt in my mind. Well, and he provides something that maybe those other guys don't. And that is he'll take up that middle area. He'll get you those eight-yard catches and open things up for guys like Braylon Addison and Brandon Banks and Mike Jones and and Jalen Acklin to to take the balls deep. You know what I mean? Like Tasker's not afraid to get it. That's why he's been hurt so much is because he does go across the middle and he gets obliterated. But, you know, he's... You can't make an argument like as good as as the replacements have been Tucker and and Marshall and guys like that. There's there's no comparison, man. And you have to get him back into the lineup. Get get him get his feet wet, so to speak. Get him back in there. Get maybe take a couple of pops, catch catch a couple of balls. Get him ready for playoff football. But I look, I've it's been awesome to see how deep this team has been. But I would have much preferred if this offense had had Luke Tasker the entire season, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I mean. He might not make the the big long plays that some of these other guys make, but he's going to make those, you know, like you said, over the middle to get that first down that we desperately need. And and it's not like he's not capable of big plays. We've seen Luke Tasker make massive plays before. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just, I, you know, my love for Luke Tasker. So uh, any slander, slander towards him, 
makes my heart hurt. Yeah, we don't we don't slander Luke Tasker on this show. And if you're a Ticap no. fan, you better not be slandering him either. He's 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 one of the best. Um, Braylon Addison, I sent out a tweet during the game after his 18 yard touchdown run that proclaimed him to be the most versatile player in the CFL. Now, our buddy over at Piffles Pod, uh, Steve Staffamod, as you know him on Twitter. Said, what about Deron Carter? And I had to give it up. Deron Carter may be the more versatile player. We've seen him play DB. We've seen him do everything Addison's done and play defensive back. So shout out to to Steve yeah. for that one. But not this year, though. Not this year. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. We haven't really – Deron Carter hasn't played defense this year. He does have a touchdown pass, I believe. I'm not sure if it was a touchdown. I, I think he does have a touchdown pass to his name. But what Braylon Addison brings to the Ticats offense. Look, the numbers aren't huge. Five catches, 53 yards, one carry for 18 yards where he scored a touchdown. But it's his, the ability for the Ticats and Tommy Condell to use him in multiple ways. He can be the Wildcat quarterback. He can line up at running back. He can line up in the slot. He can line up out wide. He can, like, you can do so many things with him that it makes him a matchup nightmare offensively. And and it was showcased in this one. That touchdown run he had in this one was absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. You can line him up as quarterback if you want. Yeah. You know, he played in the Wildcat position um, <coughs> for this team a couple times, so. Yeah, I mean Braylon Addison, Brandon Banks, the Killer Bees—they're uh, they're the best duo in the league, and it's not even close. Yeah, not I, even close, Josh. No, it's not. There's the cockiness that I'm looking to get out of you, Mikey. There we go. There we go. I I, I want to see him throw a touchdown pass. I want to see him. That's what I want. That's the only thing outside of a victory this week that I want to see. I want to see them line Braylon Addison up at quarterback and let him throw a touchdown pass. Fingers yeah, a little crossed. little fake fake run and then uh, toss pull it, up toss it, toss it, toss it to a wide open. You know what? Bold prediction. Braylon Addison, you're right. They do a they do a fake toss or they do a, a fake sweep or whatever, and he throws a touchdown pass to Nico Kalinic. That's who gets his touchdown pass because he'll be on the line. The thing he's gonna block, he'll do the you know the the kind of fake the half block and then he'll go out in the flat, and that's who Addison hits in the red zone for his touchdown pass. I'm calling it here today. Or or what about an offensive lineman? Huh? <clears throat> Like a Chris a Van Zyl or a Riker Matthews, yeah, that'd be awesome. A fat guy touchdown. That'd be pretty cool too. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Nico as my prediction. But oh man, fat guy touchdown would be pretty dope. All right. Well, you you go Nico and I'll go fat guy. All right. Perfect. 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 Let's talk some defense here. This was not a stellar performance from the Ty Cats defense in this one. They there were some struggles in this. But before we get to the negatives, I'd like to highlight one of the positives. It's a guy who's been. I would say a bit of a whipping boy amongst Ticat fans. That's Justin Tuggle, first-year linebacker with the Ticat, spent some years with the Argos. I thought he had his best game as a Ticat in this one, led the team with eight tackles, had a quarterback sack his first of the year. I thought he made a lot of plays in this one. I thought he played really well. And Simone Lawrence is obviously a big fan now. He's a teammate, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt if you want. But he says that Tuggle's one of the best middle linebackers he's ever played with. So, I mean, that kind of says a lot. But I, I in, in my opinion, I thought this was a really good game from Tuggle. Yeah, why do you think that he got so much criticism early on? Because he's I not mean, Larry Dean. He has, doesn't have 120 tackles. He's not laying guys. I think because he's not Larry Dean and he's replacing Larry Dean and Larry Dean was such a fan favorite, I think that's why he gets so much criticism. You think that people think he's a little undersized? He doesn't Maybe. lay the boom as much? Yep. Uh, yeah, I could see that. But uh, I, th- I think this guy's gelling at the right time. You know, you mentioned the game he had. Uh, I think he's been playing very well over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of stood behind Tuggle when uh, a lot of fans were kind of dumping on him and then said, yeah, okay, we'll just give him some time. And uh, I think it's starting to click now. Well, and we don't know what he's being asked to do either right. in this defense. 
Larry Dean picked up tackle after tackle a couple years ago, and go look at Simone Lawrence's tackle numbers. Look at this year, it's Simone Lawrence who's making plays all over the field. So maybe maybe Tuggle's being asked to do something a little different. Now, the one area I will say that, since the Ticats have struggled, this does kind of have to do with the middle linebacker, is in the run game. We've seen it We've seen it do great over the last little while, but for some reason, Montreal can run the football against the Ticats, can they not? They can. You know, William Stanback had that monster game early on in the season, and then uh, this game recently, Jeremiah Johnson had over 100 yards. Uh, 6.6 yard average and uh, they had a, they had a hard time stopping the run and you know when we go into the playoffs if we play the Montreal Alouettes you got to be a little concerned with uh, a guy like Jeremiah Johnson and then a guy like William Stanback in the backfield for the Alouettes because you got to figure that they're going to be leaning heavily on that so you're right the the run defense has been really good for for quite a while now really but uh, not their best game in this one. Yeah, I would say it was either the game against Montreal, where Stanback rushed for over 200 yards, or it was the game against Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan that they lost. I think the Riders had 120, 130 yards total rushing in that one. And then since then, they've, they've kind of been really good at hemming in. some like I, Andrew Harris has had very little success against the Ticats this year. Um, the, the Stamps haven't been able to run the ball much, but there wasn't really a ton in the run game there. But yeah, and the, like so it's it's hard to really get overly concerned because what, what's the, what's the possibility that the Ticats were playing a very vanilla defense in this one and not trying to expose too much you know what I mean but 22 carries in total for 134 yards 6.1 yard per carry average that's concerning in the sense that we've seen Montreal now do this a couple of times against Hamilton and you brought up Stanback and you brought up Johnson don't forget about Vernon Adams Vernon Adams can run the ball too so you add all that in and and could if this is indeed or this was an East Division final preview, I think that's the one area where we're going to be going into that game as Ticat fans a little concerned. Yeah, absolutely. But another guy I'd like to talk about on the defense is uh, our boy Simone Lawrence. You know, he, he only had four defensive tackles in this one, but that interception when he, bro- he uh, screen pass, he broke it up. I know. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson kind of fell on the play, but Simone read it from the start. He would have been there anyways. If it wasn't an interception, it would have been a loss on a tackle. So I just want to give my thumbs up to uh, Simone on that play. It was beautiful. Oh, it was. that. I think that popped everybody. It's Those are one of those little things. Offensively speaking, a perfectly run screen pass or a perfectly run draw are two of my favorite plays in football. On defense, I love when I see linemen and linebackers read the screenplay correctly and on this you're right jeremiah johnson fell but again like you said even if he would have caught the pass that he was getting nailed there so to see simone just read that screen perfectly that tells you about film study that tells you about he's he's he knows what he's doing it was a thing of beauty speaking of johnson there was an overturned fumble on this one he fumbled the ball live it looked like he was down they showed the replay on tsn i was Less than 100% going, I don't know, man. That could have been out beforehand. They overturned the call from fumble on the field to down by contact. And what we saw on TV, at least in my opinion, and we'll get yours in a second, I didn't see enough that indisputably showed the ball was not out before Johnson was down. What about you? I thought he was down um, from the replay I saw. I thought the knee was down. And then the ball came out, but it was close, and maybe there wasn't... um, indecisive or you know what's the word you just used god 
Gosh darn it. Indisputable. Indisputable evidence, but, you know, you, I think common sense says that he was down. That, that's just how I saw it. People see it different ways, but that that's how I saw it. I thought he was his knee was down, and then the ball came out. I just don't know if there was... Because the angle I would have liked to have seen is sort of the reverse angle that we saw. We saw his back and his, his knee or elbow, whatever it was, go down. And then almost in the next frame, the ball is out. Now, was the ball coming out prior to him going down? We never saw that angle because there was no camera to shoot that angle. Mm-hmm. So, like again, in, in the end, not a big deal. I, I do think that he probably was down. But it's supposed to definitively prove that, you know what I mean? Like, just again, yeah. one of those things where like you, you look at the command center and you go like, okay, is it indisputable proof? Because... I didn't see indisputable proof that he was down before the ball was out because we never saw exactly when the ball came out. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was a tough angle to really, for sure, judge it. Um, but an interesting play I saw on defense was a delegate came up to the line of scrimmage and then Simone Lawrence mm-hmm. dropped back to safety. That was, I mean, the creativity on that was uh, through the roof, I thought. Um, that just shows that the confidence they have and a guy like Simone to be able to drop back to safety. Um, it, it just shows that uh, this team is getting starting to get really creative as we get closer to the playoffs on the defensive side of the ball. Didn't they get an interception on that play too? I think so. I, something good happened. I think, I, it was, I think that's when Cario Brooks got his pick. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. You are right. Oh, yes. that poor guy, he had a pick six in his hand. Yeah, yeah, and and the Owls ended up going down on there and scoring a touchdown on that drive. But I'm not, like this game probably is completely different if Brooks holds onto that and just waltzes into the end zone. But I mean, Cario Brooks has been really good this year, so I'm not we're not going to get too hard on him. But man, I'm, I imagine he, he wishes he had that one back. Oh, of course, of course. And we were robbed of a Dylan Wynn sack dance. I know. Did you, I, I I saw that. I saw that he replied to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, he didn't realize it, and uh, no one really else did at the time that it was a sack, but it was a one-yard sack, and we didn't get to see the Rick Rude, which is very disappointing, but I'm sure we'll see it going forward here as we go into the playoffs because Dylan wins just he's, – he's just a beast. Yeah, he, we uh, we, he, we should tell him he owes us one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't even have to get a sack, Dylan. You just got to, you know, Just go out there and swivel them hips. Yeah, baby. <laughs> uh, one last thing, one last thing defensively that I would like. You know what I was thinking? Is he doing the Rick Rude or is he doing the Val Venus? Well, there's a little, there's a little something before he breaks into the Rick yes. Rude or Val Venus, whichever. But uh, you know, Val Venus was great, but uh, you know, I'm we, got, go we just gotta ask him. Yeah, we should, we should. <laughs> I mean, who? You know, I mean, he's a younger guy. Than us, obviously. Yep. Um, so maybe it is a Valvinus. Maybe it's not a Rick Rude, but you got to think, you know, the originator. You got to go Rick Rude. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, for us, it's Rick Rude. But uh, yeah. you know what? I think we. I think we might have to ask where the inspiration uh, came from, and if it's if it's Rick Rude or Valvinus. And maybe he'll be like, I don't know who either of those guys are. That's <laughs> <laughs> just my thing. I do. Yeah. Um, okay. Last thing defensively that I want to talk about. It's another negative. It's something that, especially cause, so, I watched the first half of the game live. Then I went down to Tim Hortons Field to watch the Forge FC win over Cavalry FC in the first leg of the Canadian Premier League Championship Finals. 
but they were playing a game at the stadium. So I got to see some of it there, but there was a lot of stuff going on. I was talking with my friends, so I wasn't paying a ton of attention, but I did get to go back and watch the game later. But when I was watching the first half, one thing I noticed was Montreal completed a lot of second downs and a lot of second downs that were, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten yards. So when I got the stat pack at the end of the game and I saw it, that the Owls went 14 to 25 on second down, but most concerning, eight of 13 on second and seven plus yards. And I, I'm, I'm glad that the sort of the stats, sort of, uh, you know, is evidence to the, what my eyeballs actually saw. Eight of thirteen on second and long. That's that's a little concerning if you're a Ticats fan. Yeah, I think the whole defensive performance was a little bit concerning when Vernon Adams was in the mm-hmm. game. Um, you know, he was he was he playing really well. I mean, the Alouettes are not a team to be messed with, in my opinion. They they were throwing the ball well, uh, making plays. They were running the ball well. As you said, they were converting on second down and longs. Um, so. Yeah, there's some things that need to be cleaned up going into the playoff games, but uh, you know I'm not too concerned. But it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the greatest performance out of the secondary or the run defense this this time around. So this is it's about this game, but it's more about sort of the CFL games in general that we see on TSN, and in this one in particular, both Delvin Bro and Terrell Sutton left the game and didn't return, and it was never mentioned on the broadcast. This is something I've kind of noticed over the the last year or so about the CFL is it seems like the announcers like talk about the same, you know, 10, 15 things over and over and over again, almost to the point of like, I want to bang my head against the wall and don't kind of call the game as it's happening in front of them. Like why were we as viewers not told, Hey, Delvin bro is out of this game. Hey, Terrell Sutton is out of this game. Like, yes. And they, and the thing is Malik Irons got a bunch of carries and they mentioned, Oh, here's Malik Irons in the game, but they mentioned nothing about why he's in the game. Um, yeah. Same with Delvin bro. I noticed I'm watching it going, Oh, Jamal roll made a tackle or knocked a pass down or whatever it was. And I go, Oh, Jamal rolls in there. Okay. Interesting. Who else is on the field? And then like the next play, Frankie Williams makes a tackle. I was like, okay, so Frankie's out there and rolls out there. So it's not Williams that came out. Okay, then you see Brooks, and then you see Leonard, and then you see Adelicane, and you're like, oh, it's Bro. Bro's missing. Okay, well, Delvin Bro has a history of injuries. Delvin Bro was injured this year. Okay, why is Delvin Bro out of the game? Like, these are the type of things I feel like the announcers need to be telling the fans at home because it's information. I mean, it's information I want, isn't it? I would think it's information everyone wants, no? Yeah, maybe they didn't mention it just because they weren't injured. I feel like if they did get injured, they would have said something. But still, I mean, you're. You're calling a professional football game. Um, the, the fans want to know these details. You know, those are not no-name players that suddenly just disappeared off the field. So it would be nice to get a little bit of information from these guys. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I feel like it's an area where TSN could improve their broadcasts. Like, yeah. they do feel a little sad. We talked about this a few weeks ago. They, they feel a little stale. They feel a little, I don't know, like they, they need... They need something, they need some pizzazz, if you will. And this isn't even that. This is just like give give us the information that like if, if I could phone up the sideline and be like, hey, why is Delvin Bro not in the game? And, and get a even an answer of oh, we we pulled him due to per, uh, we know it's, it was a precaution because he tweaked something. You know what I mean? Like just anything, give me anything. Like get that information out to fans so that we know what's going on. It's like you are like we can see, but you you have access to all the information. We don't. It's just one of those little things that I, I wish that we see in other sports when 
I watch the NFL a lot, and and it, even if it's it's guys that aren't big name players, they'll say like that's the start of the third quarter. It's like oh, these three guys have left the game; they're out, questionable to return. Yada yada yada. We don't we don't really get that with the CFL, and I think it's something that we as fans, or at least me as a fan, would really enjoy getting more information about. Yeah, I feel like the I think TSN is kind of dropping the ball with the CFL. It's like they are content to continue the way things are. You know, it's like. I see these commercials for the MLS and it's like these, I don't know. It's like, it's so much better than what the commercials they are. They make for the CFL. It's, I don't know. It's like, they don't put in any effort and I know that they're a committed partner and they're signed up for many more years, but you know, I'd like to see a little bit more effort from them. Yeah. Something new or, you know, give us something small. We don't, we're not asking for too much. I don't think. Potsky Player of the Week, Mike, is there any question as to who's getting it? It's Mr. MOP, is it not? Yeah, it's Brandon Banks. 11 receptions for 201 yards, uh, 93 yak, an average of 18.3, a long of 55 yards, and not one, not two, but the hat trick. Three touchdowns for Brandon Banks on this evening, and uh, he is our Potsky Player of the Week. It's not the first time this year. Uh, you got to think he's going to be the Podsky Player of the Year, but that will be discussed at a later point. But Brandon Banks, once again, Podsky Player of the Week. There's one thing you forgot. Go on. One pair of ankles belonging to number 33 for the Montreal Alouettes, Janor Jones. He took those as well. Yeah, he did. He did that. I believe that was his uh, 55-yard long touchdown. So that was a that was a thing of beauty. Uh, you know, he, he, the guy's still, like I mentioned earlier, the guy's still one of the fastest players in the league and he can juke uh, any defensive back out of his shoes. And he showed it uh, on that occasion. It's Halloween time, Mike. We record this just before Halloween is upon us this Thursday. Halloween. There's myths around Halloween, spooky stuff. I wanted to spell a myth here, Mike. And that is the myth that has been kind of, we heard it earlier in the year. We talked about it a little at the top of the show. We heard it earlier in the year, and then it kind of went away, and now it's it's bubbling up again, especially out there in the rectangle province. And it's the myth that the Ticats haven't beat anyone, are propped up by a crappy East Division, uh, that they basically, their their 14-3 and record is fraudulent. Let's dispel the notion, it, no team in any professional sport that wins 14 in professional football, college football, it doesn't matter. If you're 14 and th- you win 14 games, you're not a fraud. I don't care who you beat. You could beat nothing but winless teams. You're not a fraud. You, it, it's hard to win football games. But the big thing that I just want to just want to get this out here, it's, it's not, I'm not angry about this. If you don't think the Ticats are that good, that's your wrong opinion to have, whatever. But the idea that the Ticats are propped up by a crappy East Division. Yes, the Red Blacks suck. The Argos suck. The Alouettes are pretty good. They beat them twice. They're 6-1 and one against their East Division, their fellow East Division teams. Their one loss was a road loss by 7 points to the Alouettes all the way back in Week 4. They're 8-2 and two against the West, including sweeps of Edmonton, BC, and Winnipeg. They split with Saskatchewan and Calgary. The loss to Saskatchewan was by five points. The loss to Calgary was by one. This team has lost three games by a combined 13 points. All three of those games, they could have won. Maybe not the, the Alouettes game. That was The score made that look a little closer 
than it actually was. I believe they were down by two scores and they scored one late. That was the one where they nearly had the block punt that was called back uh, because he roughed the kicker because they changed the stupid rule where if, even if you block the punt, you can't hit the kicker and all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. But essentially, the Ticats could have won every game they've played so far this year. And they are 8-2. Eight 8-2 and two. Eight and two against the West. They will win more games against the West than they will the East. They play more games against the West than they play against the East. So I don't understand how anyone can make the argument that, well, the East Division is crap, and therefore the Ticats are propped up because of it. That just doesn't make any sense when you look at the bare facts. Like, the mm. facts are, like I've said, and I'll say it one more time, they're 8-2 and two against the West. I mean, what more do you have? It, it's not just that they play in the East. They, they, if they were playing in the West, guess what? They'd probably still be 14-3. and three. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. They've beaten every team in the league. What else do you want? I mean... Do you want them to sweep the, the Stampeders and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? I mean, that's tough to do. Any any game you play in this league is, is going to be tough um, to win. So uh, the the notion that the Tiger Cats aren't for real, that they don't have a leg to stand on. They they just don't. There's no argument there. They are for real the, for the reasons you've mentioned. I mean, to go 8-2 and two against the West is a huge accomplishment for a team from the East, any team from the East. So... Listen, uh, yeah, it's dumb. It's a dumb, dumb premise. <laughs> I, yeah, I look, I'm not getting worked up about it. You're not getting worked up about it. Oh, well, yeah, a little bit worked up. Okay, it. maybe you're getting a little bit worked up about it. All but right. I'm not getting worked up about it. I'm just, okay. it's just one of those things where, like, is it, is it because it's the Ticats and because we as fans aren't used to them? Like, even Ticat fans are like, holy shit, 14 and 3. This is uncharted territory, obviously. Like, if this was Calgary, if, if this was Saskatchewan, if this was Winnipeg, I don't feel like we'd be having these same conversations. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like anyone would have to defend how good their team is no matter who they beat. When when the Alouettes were winning 14, 15 games every year, running roughshod over a much worse East Division than we see right now, were, were was anyone, like, denigrating, the, like, calling them? For, I, just, I just don't understand where this is coming from. I think that's the thing that, that sort of irritates me the most if, if i can use that term it's i just don't get where the like where the like people say things like because for the longest time it's always been all oh, the east sucks and blah, blah 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 and yes when ottawa wins the division under 500 when the argos or even the ticats won the division at 500 yes you can make that argument the east division was terrible because look the first place team is a 500 team okay i'll i'll, I'll bite and I'll, I'll buy that you can't talk about the East Division being this, you know, sinkhole of crappiness when, yes, the two worst teams in the CFL definitely play in the East Division in Ottawa and Toronto. But the Alouettes are a 9-win, possibly a 10-win team. The Ticats are a 14 or 15-win team. Like, to me, it doesn't... Ma- like, yeah, two there are two bad teams in this and two really good teams. And the Ticats have gone to the West and beat every team over... Like, I, I don't know, man. It's just It just feels weird that we're... Still sitting here with one week left in the season talking about a 14-win football team that we still have to defend from people who are just like, I don't know, I can't take them seriously. Just, I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I think that's coming from, you know, you take the you take Hamilton to Montreal and you, 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 you play games against the top two teams in the West, Calgary, Saskatchewan. I think, you know, it's going to come out pretty even if you played like 10 games or so. So the East is, is better this year than it has been in a long time, I think. You know, besides Toronto, Ottawa, which you mentioned, they're just not good, not good right now. Uh, but BC's not good either. So, uh, 
And, you know, Saskatchewan just barely beat Edmonton, and they're not a very good team. So, listen, Hamilton's the real deal. They're the best team in the league right now. Um, I think Calgary is the closest to them. Um, but Hamilton, you know, they're they're not a joke. They're, they're, they're the real deal. You know what the Stamps and Riders have done that the Ticats have not? Lost to mm. Ottawa. Yeah, Ottawa. That's I mean, just horrendous. If if I mean the Stamps were swept by Montreal, they lost to them at home as well as on the road. I mean, yeah. I think the, I'm pretty sure the Riders swept, but the Riders won that one game in Montreal on the weather delay. So there's that you know right. there's the asterisk next to it or whatever. I mean, it's a win, it's a win account, but I mean, who knows how that would have gone? Like, I don't know, man. This Especially is the way that Montreal can you know come back on teams, right? We've mm-hmm. seen it many times. So that game could have ended up with the Saskatchewan loss easily. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on from being irritated to talking about awards again. Last week we talked about MLP. This week we're going to talk about most outstanding defensive player. Mike, to me, we got another Ticats talk about here that is very much in the right. I think this is a little closer. I think it's a lot closer, to be honest with you, than MLP is, especially after what Brandon Banks did against the Alouettes. There, I think there's a number of solid candidates for this. I think Willie Jefferson is one. Charleston Hughes is another. Uh, Enoch Mwamba, I think, has had a really good year. For the Alouettes, but I, I legitimately, and I'm not saying this just because we're Tiger fans, but I legitimately think that Simone Lawrence is the front runner for this award right now. He has been lights out all year, and I think it's very possible that the Ticats have the best offensive player and the best defensive player in the CFL right now. Yeah, I think it comes down to Simone and uh, Willie Jefferson. You know, Simone leads the league in tackles by you know nine tackles over Larry Dean. Um, Willie Jefferson is third in the league in sacks. Uh, he's first in the league in forced fumbles. So he's had a, a great year as well. Um, so I think it comes down between those two guys. And I'd have to lean Simone just because I've watched him more, obviously. And he's just been just a really good bounce-back season for him. He wasn't terrible or anything last year. But this is the Simone that we've we've known for for years and years with the Ticats. Well, and they track defensive plays, which is like tackles and knockdowns and interceptions and like pretty much everything. And Simone leads in that too. So I I think, look, if Willie Jefferson is the guy that ends up winning this, I don't think I'd be that angry about it. I feel like he's a very deserving candidate. But I think, I really do believe, especially if he can add to his totals this week against the Argos, I think this might be Simone's award to lose right now. Yeah, I think you might be right. And, you know, just to mention uh, our boy Dylan Winnegan, fourth in the league in sacks. For, def- for an a, interior defensive lineman, yeah, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. For a guy that's playing on the inside, It's uh, that's a number that it, you can be really proud of. So thumbs up to him for that. Remember we talked about him getting signed and how excited we were and how we talked and how it was like – you and I both were like, I think I think this is going to be a, a really, really good signing. I wrote about it for three down. We talked about it on the pod. And I think he's exceeded expectations this year. I'm, yeah. I'm going I'm to write a piece for three down. I wrote a piece at the beginning of the year talking about free agent additions, some that I liked and some that I didn't like. It's going to be really hard to, to – is it Adelike? Is it Davis? Is it Wynn? Is it Rico Mert? Like pretty much every free agent that Ticap brought in has been a home run. It's – this is, again, because of great internal scouting and then great signings in free agency, that's the reason why this team is the number one team in the CFL. Yeah, absolutely. The 
they just do a, a great job bringing guys in, you know, drafting guys. It's just been uh, everybody they brought in has fit in perfectly. So, yeah, Dylan Wynn has, uh, you know, reached expectations, surpassed it. And I remember I thought he was a Canadian early on in the year. You know who I think I was getting uh, mixed up with? Daryl Watt. Darryl oh, Watt. yeah, okay. Both played for the Argos. DW, I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I'm glad we have Dylan Wynn and not Daryl Watt. I'll tell you that much. Oh, I'm glad we have Dylan Wynn, too. Hopefully he's here for many, many years to come. He's been yeah. a treat to watch. So from current Ticats to a former Ticat, this week saw the return of Zach Caleros to the field, and he leads the Winnipeg Blue Bombers over the Calgary Stampeders 29-28. to He had, obviously, the play of the game was the incredible sort of Patrick Mahomes, Doug Flutie-like, I don't even know, scramble to a beautiful throw into the back of the end zone for a touchdown. That was just, it was. It seemed like vintage Zach Caleros, vintage, you know, felt like I said, Doug Flutie, Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know what I mean? What do you think mm-hmm. of his play in this one? The numbers weren't huge, but he gets the win and, he, you know, he escapes healthy. We'll talk about the, the wicked shot he took a little bit later, but... I don't know. What do you think about Caleros back in the field? Do you think he's the guy that can maybe right the ship in Winnipeg and get them over the hump to the Grey Cup? I thought he played great, you know, against tough competition like Calgary. You know, that defense is really coming on strong. And he, like you said, it wasn't monster numbers, but uh, he gives something to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that Chris Revler simply does not give. Um, you oh, know, you it's he such can throw? More- he can throw. It's in a, <laughs> it, it, Winnipeg has a balanced attack now with Zach. And if I know Mike O'Shea is a very loyal guy, but if he if he plays Chris Trevler in the playoffs, he, I mean, you got to question whether he should be back because Zach Caleros beat a Calgary team that had something to play for uh, in this game in dramatic fashion. It was a really fun game to watch, and it was really fun to see Zach back on the field doing his thing. It really was a fun game to watch. And those two games between the Bombers and Stamps over the last two weeks, those are maybe two of the best games I've seen this year in the CFL. They were both intense. They were both close. They were back and forth affairs. That's the type of CFL football I remember from my youth. And it was fun mm-hmm. to sort of see that type of, like those two games, like the crowds were into it. Those were two really fun games between two really good football teams. And and no, that was the CFL football that I, I love to see. What do you think of the hit? Obviously, that's going to be the talk of the world for the next uh, couple of days, or at least it was in the aftermath of it. Claro slides, takes a shot from Winton McManus, eerily similar, not identical, but eerily similar to the one that Simone Lawrence laid on him that knocked him out. But he popped back up, and he was perfectly fine. No flag on the play. Myself and many others were a little apoplectic that there wasn't a flag there. What do you think? I my thing is, if that's Bo Levi Mitchell in the exact same position, it's a flag 100% of the time. I don't understand why it wasn't one for Caleros. Well, if it's Bo, yeah. I mean, Bo's the golden child, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. It was it was close. Uh, I thought it was shoulder that he threw at him. I didn't oh, really oh, see oh, oh, I think it, it wasn't helmet to helmet. It was, it was shoulder to... Yeah. But it's still... He was sliding and it was a hit. And then later in the game, Reggie Bagleton gets, gets like the defenders back to his shoulder and they throw a flag. And it's to me, that's you look at both those hits and you go, it looked bad, it looked bad initially that uh, Bagleton one, but, but then replay, it looked funny. like he, he literally turned yeah. his back to him to knock him down as opposed to going in with his helmet. And I don't, I, I think you, you get both of those in the same game and you go, where's the consistency? 
Yeah, I think that, you know, I was shocked that there wasn't a penalty because, you know, a live action, you can't really tell sometimes whether it's clean or not, but it looked uh, brutal, and I'm surprised the flag wasn't thrown. But he did slide a little late. He was still, he wasn't mm-hmm. like on back. He was still upward. Mm-hmm. Um, it's football, man. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I don't want to, I'm, I don't want to talk about hits anymore. <laughs> I don't know. All right, just, let's move on then. I, all right, cool. You want to talk about how the West's going to finish up? Yeah, let's do this. So we got we're in for like the East is as we all know it's settled. Edmonton's going to Montreal to play in the East semi. Winner plays the Tie Cats in the East final. I'll be there. You'll be maybe you'll be there. Maybe you won't. We don't know yet. That's still up for debate. Um, but the West, it's everything is pretty much still up for grabs. We don't know who's finishing where, who's traveling where, and it's all coming together at the end in the last week of the season. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are on a bye, so they have no say in where they finish. But Calgary's at BC. Edmonton is in a rematch at Saskatchewan. And essentially it goes like this, Mike. Saskatchewan beats Edmonton. They're first in the West and host in the West final. Calgary loses to BC. They slide all the way to third and will head to Winnipeg for the West semifinal. Can you imagine the Calgary Stampeders having to go on the road twice to get to the Grey Cup? That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. What do you? How do you think this is all gonna? This is all gonna shape up. How? How is this? How is this gonna end? I can't. I. I just can't see Calgary losing to BC. Uh, as much as I'd love it, um, I just don't think it's gonna happen with Daniel. Daniel freaking Bryan at quarterback. This guy is terrible. Terrible. One of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen oh, play in this. They league. could put you Brandon know, Bridge in there. He's better. Even right? worse. Even worse. <laughs> No, he may not be worse than Daniel Bryan, but, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I just don't see it. I think Calgary's going to win. Um, what if Calgary wins and Saskatchewan wins? What happens? Saskatchewan, then? Saskatchewan wins the West. Okay, so if Saskatchewan wins, they win the West. Yes, all the Riders have to do is win. Or okay, yeah, it's win. Oh, well, you know, yes, win and they're in. Okay, so uh, you know, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, that was a close game this past weekend. Had to, it came down to uh, last second field goal. Um, but Saskatchewan at home uh, against the Eskimos, I think I think Saskatchewan's going to end up winning, and they'll be hosting the Western Final, which I don't have a problem with. I, you know, it'd be fun to see a Western Final in Saskatchewan against a team like Saskatchewan or Winnipeg. Either one is a very hot rivalry, so I see Saskatchewan finishing first. Yeah, win or a tie by the Riders clinches. Uh, the West Final for them. So you're saying the standings finish as they are right now. Saskatchewan 1, Calgary yeah. 2, Winnipeg 3. I think that's how it's going to go too. But man, oh man, do I want BC to, to to beat Calgary and send them on the road. That would be that'd be a true test. If the Stamps can... Look, Calgary in the Grey Cup is the one team, as a Ticats fan, I don't want to see. Um, just because beating a team at home in the Grey Cup is next to impossible. I can't think of the last time a home Grey Cup team lost. Maybe it was probably the Alouettes. I think it was. I think the Alouettes lost in 08 yeah. at, at Montreal to Calgary, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yep. So it doesn't Boy happen. Burris. Yeah, Henry. Yeah, exactly. And it was like a really low scoring game, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, it wasn't that good. Yeah. It's, it's not impossible, but it's not the easiest thing in the world to do as well. But I also just think that something new Calgary not getting the buy, you know what I mean? Like that, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think, I think the riders, Go, like they they beat Edmonton. I just I don't really think. I, I think as close as that game was, 
this past weekend. I think you flip it, you put it in Saskatchewan, and I don't think. And Edmonton's got nothing to play for. They got to play in the East Semi the following week. Like I could see them resting guys in this one um, or pulling guys like what we talked about with the Ticats the last few weeks, what they should and shouldn't do. I could see Edmonton doing that this week just because what they got nothing. There's nothing on the line for them. Do they care if it's Saskatchewan hosting the West Final or Calgary? Probably not. So yeah, because they don't have to, they don't have to face them. So no, they, would not, would... they would, wouldn't have to get them to the Grey Cup anyway. So and it's not like they're getting to the Grey Cup. They're not getting by Montreal and they're not getting by Hamilton. So it doesn't really matter. Um, so I think the Riders win and and win the West. I think Calgary's going to beat BC, but man, do I want it to? I I want BC to win that game, and I want to see the Stamps face some real adversity. If they get to, if they finish third and get to the Grey Cup, and, and win, it, they they you they always it. you always earn a championship. Any team that wins a championship has earned it. But man, that would be one hell of a story if they could go from from third all the way to to champions. That would be a that, that would be as much as I would hate it because chances are it would come at the expense of our team. That's one that you'd begrudgingly go, man, you, you really had to put the work in there. And then you start talking about this team as, you know, back-to-back champs and not doing it the easy way. And then you start to really put start putting them in that conversation of one of the greatest teams ever. Yeah, you got to start talking the D word, uh, dynasty. Yeah, begrudgingly maybe. accept the fact yeah. that they're as good as they, they always say they are. Yeah, but I'm with you. I hope the BC wins. Um, yeah, I think it's going to take a miracle. But uh, stranger things have happened, so... You never know, and I like to see Winnipeg get a get a playoff game, and uh, you know, just change it up a bit. You know, yeah. I mean, BC's coming off a bye. Maybe that gives them some extra motivation. I don't know. We'll we'll see. It's it's going to be fun Saturday night for sure. Uh, let's talk about our game that Saturday night. Maybe not a ton to talk about here. It's the final game of the regular season for the Tie Cats. They're hosting the much hated Toronto Argonauts. The Look, the win doesn't mean anything as it hasn't the last couple of weeks. But as we've seen, the Ticats are not playing as if the games don't matter. They're playing as if wins are what they do. They have a chance to go 9 at home, 9-0 and at home for the first time ever, and a chance, obviously, to go 15-3 and on the season for the first time ever. So we could see some history in this one as we have the last couple of weeks with the Ticats winning games. This is the game, though, that a couple weeks ago when we talked about what they would do now that the games don't matter... This is the one that I always kind of circled as, okay, this is where we'll see some guys rest. We'll see some guys play a half, some guys play a little bit. I'm starting to doubt that because of just the way that Orlando Steinhauer has kind of coached this team. It doesn't feel like he believes in sitting guys out. Like, we're playing a football game, my, my guys are playing. Like, every starter played last week. So, I don't know, I, I could see this one being some, one where some guys sit, but I also think that he is cognizant of... Brandon Banks might need some yards and catches to solidify the MLP. Simone might need to make some plays to solidify defensive player of the year. Like as much as those things don't matter in the grand scheme of things, putting your players out there with a position to succeed and, and maybe get some of that hardware that gets some bonuses and all other sorts of stuff. I don't know. Steinauer was a player. Maybe, maybe he looks at it that way, but I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I, I don't, I still think we're going to see some guys sit in this one, although I don't think it's going to be as wholesale as some people are expecting or hope to be. But what do you think? Well, I, if it was me, I would uh, I would probably play Dane for the first half and then and then pull him. Um, maybe the same with with Brandon Banks. Um, but like we said, you can't pull every single player. But 
I think we will see Sutton sit just because we saw him sit last game and running back is such a physical position or you're getting hit on every single play. So you want him to be healthy because he's performed so well for this team. But yeah, I don't see like, you know, everybody sitting. Um, maybe they take out Dane at halftime. But other than that, I, I, I don't, I, I just don't. Unless people are like nicked up and have to, have to take a game off, uh, I don't see mass uh, benching of, of star players in this one. No, and we're going to steal from Steve Milton here, the brilliant writer for the Hamilton Spectator. He wrote a few weeks ago, in the aftermath of the Alouettes losing, the Ticats clinching the East, about the financials about sitting guys and why that's probably not likely. Simply because you, if you decide, hey, Brandon Banks and Simone Lawrence and Ted Laurent and like Delvin Bro, like all these guys are going to sit. Uh, the offensive line. <laughs> yeah, like first off, they don't have enough guys on the roster to sit all these guys to begin with. Second off, you're still paying these guys, and they're not going to go in the sixth game. They're going to go in the one game, and that means they're all going to get they're going to get paid their salary, which is going to count towards the cap. And you know, you can't pay fifty five guys and only play forty three of them. Like it's not that's not kind of financially feasible, especially when this team has already put guys on the one game injured list. Like Luke Tasker was on the one game injured list the entire time he was out. He never went to the sixth game, so his entire salary counted. You know, hindsight being twenty twenty, that was probably a little silly since he missed like ten games or whatever it was. And it was a hamstring, I guess. Yeah, and they, you know, they never knew when he's going to be back. So, I yeah. mean, whatever. But you can't just sit guys and then bring other guys in and pay everybody, and then at the end of the year, it's like, oh, by the way, we went over the cap by fifty thousand dollars because we did this. That has to be taken into account too, and fans might not like that. Fans might not agree with that. Fans might not understand that. But that's. That's the nature of the business. These guys get paid whether they're on the field or not. So, and these guys feel like they I, like. Have you heard any of these guys say they want to sit? No. So no. And I mean, you know, the coaches have to make the the decision that's in the best interest of the team, and that's what they're paid for. But I don't know. I think we might see guys come out during the game, but it would surprise me if we, especially because they get a bye the following week. This isn't the last game of the year, and then they have to play in the semi. That's what we saw last year, and a bunch of the starters sat. I think I think Dean and Unamba, and I think all the linebackers sat. I think Bro sat. Like, a bunch of guys did sit last year, but they were playing the following week, and, and they, and they good, had nothing to play for. Yeah, a lot, a lot of good it did in the— Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they well, did, they, they they did, the they did cruise in the well. semi, but they didn't do anything in the final. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, they sat yeah. guys because they were playing—they have a week off, and football's a dangerous game. And guys can get hurt in practice just as easily as they can get hurt in a game. Look, yes, I do think that at some point we're going to see some guys see the bench, but I don't think it's going to be as wholesale or as massive as people are expecting. No, neither do I. I'd like to see Dane play for a half, you know, get a rhythm going, all that good stuff, and then yank him because I understand he probably wants to play the whole game, but uh, it's just – too risky to me. Um, we we have our starting quarterback. He's played tremendous. Let's not risk an injury um, against the Toronto Argonauts team that's playing for nothing. And, you know, it's just not worth it. So I, I like to see them get some starting time, but then pull them. Well, and do you remember last week? I, I saw a comment from someone. I commented to me. I can't remember what it was about how, oh, the Ticats should sit, guys, because the Owls are going to try to injure them going into a potential playoff matchup. That didn't happen. 
Guys aren't going out there to intentionally, like, sure, maybe there are some players out, but come on, they're, no one goes out hoping to injure someone heading into the playoffs or whatever. So that the idea that, that guys will be marked and people will go, like that to me is just silly. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, it's the last game of the season. It's, uh, it's, a, this is the last show we do on the regular season. Mike, it's, it's playoffs come next week. That's crazy. It is crazy. The season has flown by and I guess it, it does when you're, when your team's so good. Time flies um, when you're having fun, right? Exactly. And I'm really looking forward to the playoffs. Even the first round, which obviously the Tiger Cats will not be a part of. I think there's, uh, you know, that Montreal Edmonton game. I think it's going to be interesting. And uh, as, but especially whatever happens in the West, um, it'll be a good matchup. Too. Yeah, it's it's going to be a dogfight out West, and and I can't wait till playoffs start. But we'll we'll talk about the playoffs next week. Uh, we will be back next week, despite the Tiger Cats not having a game. We'll tee up the playoffs. We'll talk about what's likely a win over the Argos. And uh, playoff football, baby. It's this what everyone, just what you get through the the summer and fall for to get to get to November and to get to the playoffs. And I don't know. It, it feels good that not only are our Tie Cats in it, but they're probably the favorites to take it all home. Yeah, it's been a while since we we could say that. So yeah, I, I can't wait for to watch the Eastern Final, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be a very interesting playoff run here. It will be indeed. So that was Podsky Weeby for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.